Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? What is up, Light Hustlers? How are you? This is Anna David. I am your host of this podcast. And I'm so honored that you are listening to it. I'm going to get right into it. My guest is a fellow podcaster. Maybe you listen to his podcast. It's called Recovery Elevator. His name is Paul Churchill. And Recovery Elevator is not merely a podcast. It is an enterprise. There are retreats. There are accountability groups. There are a myriad of things. And it's quite impressive considering uh, Paul Churchill is really a newbie in recovery. He's been able to accomplish so much. So this is from one of those Facebook Live interviews that I did. And we, what we really get into here, if you are somebody who has possibly found recovery and is finding yourself veering into workaholism and or looking for some balance, this is the episode for you. So I hope you enjoyed. And by the way, if you want to find out if you should be telling your own story, I've got a quiz for you. It can help you answer that question. Just go to lighthustler.com slash quiz. Yes, that's lighthustler.com slash quiz. And before I let you listen to my wonderful guest, Paul Churchill, I'll just say it's better with the lights on. So go out there and hustle your light, light hustler. Guys, I am here with Paul Churchill, the host and creator of the other amazing recovery podcast, Recovery Elevator. Say hey, Paul. Say hey, Paul. Hey, okay. They're talking to them to say hey to me. Hey, everybody. How's it going, Anna? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've been listening to you for a long time. When I interviewed you on my podcast, I said thank you for kind of being a trailblazer in this space. Because when I started, uh, there wasn't much. Or shall I say, when I started to do the research for uh, to do a recovery podcast, um, there wasn't much. And there was this gal named Anna who interviewed one of my, my favorite musicians in a band named Corn. I was like, man, this girl's freaking awesome. So it's awesome to be doing this with you. And, and thanks for having me. So already this is my favorite interview. Uh, Paul, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I will tell you. Well, first of all, I will say to you guys, thank you for being here. Jordan, Lisa, anyone else who's here. And if you like the people in your life, please go share this podcast with them. Because this is two recovery podcasters talking about the stuff we don't talk about until the mics are off. But now 
we're talking about it and you guys are here. So uh, please share this, please comment. Um, I'm really excited that we're doing this. Paul and I have a lot more in common than just doing a recovery podcast. We're branching out into a lot of the same things. And Paul, I consider you a trailblazer and I will tell you why. Um, I, I operate in a bubble and I had no idea there were other recovery podcasts out at all. Um, until somebody reached out to me about being in like a podcast, a recovery podcast network. And I'm like, are you kidding me? There's, there's enough for that. And, um, through that, I found yours and a few others and yours was my favorite. Then I start hearing, uh, about recovery accountability groups. And I, I feel like you were one of the first people to do that. Were you? Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. I, I don't, I don't know. But the reason why I started it is because it's something I searched for and I couldn't find Anna. And so this was in July of 2014 and it's 1:56 in the morning and I'm looking on Facebook, you know, I'm in my phone, I'm on my bed, looking on my phone, scrolling down, I'm typing in recovery group recovery accountability group. I couldn't find it. But what I did find, Anna, I found a Bud Light sponsored Lime ad. It's just like 156. And I live three and a half minutes away from a gas station that closes at two and they can't sell beer, alcohol after two. I got out of bed so fast, put on sweatpants, my shoes, got in the car and I bought, guess what I bought at the, uh, at the gas station, Bud Light Lime. It tastes like raccoon's piss, but I still bought it. And that is, that's how my night went. I drank a lot of it that night and I didn't find an accountability group. Um, so when I finally got sober, this is something that I selfishly started. It wasn't something that I like, hey, recovery world, I'm going to create something for you guys. It's it's all these all these things and, and retreats and recovery groups and accountability groups. I all I kind of did it all selfishly and uh, I give myself accountability partners. So it's just been a really fun way to connect with other like minded individuals. Yeah, I mean, they say that is the best sort of marketing technique, even though that isn't what you did. Look for what you want. And when you don't see it, create it. I So so I, I do want to say that Kevin's saying, I missed the Corn podcast. And here's what I've got to say to you, Kevin. I have now had two people from Corn on the podcast. Lisa Warren knows this very well. I had recently, I had Wes Gear. And before that, I had uh, Raw. Oh, Jesus Christ. Paul, I'm losing it. Rob, um, I cannot remember his last name, but to be fair, I've done like 300 episodes. I will try to, anyway, he was in corn too. So you can call this, you know, the corn podcast. But so you started this accountability group and in it are, do you assign partners? How does that work? Absolutely. So, so much has changed, just like any endeavor when you start it from day one to what it looks like at the end. They're two totally different things. And now accountability is kind of like at the at the back burner. It's like an optional thing. When you sign up, you say, if you'd like to be requested with an accountability partner, just email here. But we first started. Um, it was a it was it was a tremendous flop, to tell you the truth. And the reason why is, is, uh, you know, partnering. I, I try to take like a system that was in place for, for years since 1935, this guy, Bill, and this, this guy, Bob started this program called AA and you know, their, their model is you work with a mentor, a sponsor, right? And the reason why the accountability group was a total flop and really it wasn't, but my expectations, right? My expectations are up here. And then if anything short than that, for me, it's a total failure, but it's not, but really like you're getting people in early sobriety who lives on different parts of the planet, different parts of the world country. 
and I'm expecting them to inter, inter, intermingle, become best friends overnight. And some of them are like, wait a second, you know, they'll sign up for it. And then the addiction lying in their own heads is like, you know what, you're not an alcoholic, you don't even need this. So a lot of times there's, there's, there's crickets, but we fine tune things. And uh, now it works out pretty good. But it's also like a database thing too, right? When you have, when you have four people, you can't really find a good fit. But now I've got hundreds of people, I can actually say, okay, I do have two people from the Northwest or the Midwest that are in their 20s. And they're both female. And you know, and now like the accountability groups working out well. Um, but yeah, like we were talking earlier, when I got sober, I, 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 I took on the world and that kind of backfired professionally. I replaced, I replaced my drinking with work and, uh, I, I started an accountability group for, for Australia, for Britain, for, for Midwest, for the East coast, for Eurasia, for Mexico. And I'm like, what in the hell have I created? Um, it was a beast. Um, it was fun and it kept me sober, but it, it, it was a time I, I knew it had to change. And, and now I just have two accountability groups called Cafe RE and it's been a lot of fun. Okay. You said so many things that I wanted to address. First of all, I very much relate to this idea about transferring alcoholism for workaholism. It's something I haven't completely mastered myself. What do you do to deal with or address that? Great question. And one of my favorite recovery books is Blackout by Sarah Heppelot. And there's a line in there that just boom, when I read it, it's, it's like we're always downgrading addictions. And I think that's going to be a, a, a consistent theme in my life moving forward. And just to be cognizant, just to be aware of it. Right. You know, and next up, I, I kind of want to tackle caffeine. Right. And I think as long as I'm going down the list of things, you know, from alcohol to work and it's just as long as the next thing is just a little bit better, I can handle that. I'm moving in the right direction. But, you know, sure. Like is alcohol, there's work better than alcohol. Yeah, I think it is for me at that time. It was. And so, yeah, like I'd, I'd rather burn out than bore out when I was when I was bored. That's that was a dangerous time for me. I would drink when I was bored. And so, but yeah, after about a year and a half, two years of that, I was like, oh my God, I have no social life. My phone is, all the texts I'm getting are work-related. And this is kind of miserable. Yeah. And Doug is saying, I agree, been sober nearly a decade and still haven't been able to master work-life balance. I, you know, I, I go through this too. Um, and it, it's complicated because when you have an addict brain, I believe you've got this brain that is always looking for uh, potential problems and then blasting them, you know, billboard size into your synapses so that you can feel terrible so that eventually if you don't deal with it, you'll want to drink. So sometimes I go, well, I'm really efficient. I do a lot of great things, but I'm beating myself up for working too much. People dream of having this problem. Like, how do you know when it's problem? It sounds like it was pretty clear for you that, you know, you are hitting a wall, but how do you moderate it now? So it's a, it's a tough one, but I made a goal last year to be off the grid, completely off the grid. I'm talking cell phone off. Don't even have my pocket for five days. I made two days in 2017. That's a lot harder than you think it would be. Um, and just it's, it's, it's limits, right? And, but it's also expectations. And I'm trying to figure out how to, a way to tie this together. Um, you know, expectations is in, I want to be the turtle and not the hare. And I understand that you know, tomorrow is, is a new day. And a lot of this stuff is control issues. And this is a big underlying theme in recovery is I'm working so much because I'm kind of trying to control other people. And there's so many gravity problems in my life. 
And it's like fighting gravity. There's no point. Just stop fighting gravity because you can't control it. And so once I started to accept, like, all right, like I'm part of the reason why I'm working so much is I'm trying to control a lot of shit that I can't control. And once I, you know, those are like, those are like light bulb moments in my life in recovery. Like, wow, gravity problems. Don't care about it anymore. All I can say is, oh, well. When you say gravity problems, you just mean the things you're trying to control or do you mean something else? Yeah, exactly. So gravity problems would be today. It was negative seven degrees in Bozeman, Montana. Like that's effing cold, right? Like that, I can't do anything about that except say, oh, well, oh, well, that is it. In fact, when I was backing out of my driveway this morning, my mirror hit the side. And when it's not negative degrees, the mirror will just flex. It was so cold that it shattered the corner of the mirror. Oh, well, I was upset for like 10 minutes, but oh, well, there's nothing I can do about that. Yes. So then I, I challenge you. We're getting great comments, by the way, Brian, Kevin, uh, Raymond. I, I do want to say that Lisa Warren, of course, told us that it was Rob Patterson who was my first guest who was in corn. That is the episode yep. that we all heard. So yeah. I apologize for my early onset senility. Um, and Lisa's a true corn fan. So thank you. Um, but why is it so bad? So here's my here's my challenge. Here's my question. I mean, so we were killing ourselves with drugs and alcohol. We are, and, and I and I saw on your website. By the way, Paul's website is great. And you know, there's just a part of it where you're like, we're part of the lucky ones. You know, five percent of people actually find recovery. So here we are. We are miracles. We have done this thing, and so we're working. Life is challenging. Life is painful. So what? So what if we use this as an escape? Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, Anna. And first off, this is such a cool platform. I'm reading Doug's, Brian, Kevin, Raymond's comments. This is so cool. I'm loving reading this live, these live comments. So keep them coming. Um, and, and number two, Anna, I, I just did a podcast episode on this. It's called Filling the Void Left by Alcohol. And I just finished reading the book Recovery by Russell Brand. And there was a part in that book where I was like, holy shit. Like whether you know it or not, you're either filling this void or you're not filling this void. Now I was sober for two and a half years in 2010 to 2012 and a half, not filling any void. I was a dry drunk. And then now I realize that I'm filling the void. I filled that void with work for a year and a half. But here's the good news in recovery. Filling the void, it doesn't have to be all brutal. I did a, a quick Google search of like fun things to do. And it's important, it's in fact imperative that we find ways to get the dopamine flowing in the brain because that's what we did before, we used alcohol to get the dopamine receptors going. We have enhanced dopamine receptors. And so it's important, hey, if you wanna become a professional bass fisher in sobriety, more power to you. If you wanna get back into model trains, be on a professional dodgeball team, go hike with new group of friends, you know, basket weaving, knitting, archery, all kinds of stuff. There's so much cool stuff you can do to fill that void. But most importantly, I, I chose working because I wasn't filling the community void. Because when, you know, when you're drinking, it's, you're kind of, you're at a bar, you're at other locations where drinking in groups, there's a huge void that needs to be filled. And the most important part is, is, is with, fill that void with the community. And that's what I've been able to do both with 12 steps and with doing recovery elevator. See, such a good point, you know, and I've said this before, but no matter how there's a lot of controversy about the different ways to recover, should it be 12 steps, should it be, you know, yoga, should it be smart recovery, whatever it is, what everybody agrees on is that community, it's crucial. Nobody says it's not. 
But I also know that isolation is a huge part of addiction. For me, you may have been at the bar, you know, with the Bud Light and all that stuff. I was alone doing cocaine with my cat. I was, to have a community of people was just like revelatory that, that I could have people around again. So I think what you provide is, is a great service. And I want to say that uh, Raymond, let's just put his comment up here again, because it was so nice. Um, when I first came into the rooms, I had a drinking and drugging problem. I stayed long enough to realize I have a life problem. I have a body that cannot handle drugs and alcohol and a mind that can't handle life. But you guys helped me learn how, and I love you all for it. Um, I, I gotta say, I, I, I get it. And it's, you know, recovery, they, they, you know, the work, in recovery for me, this is only for me at this point in my sobriety is not about like wanting to drink or do drugs. It's like that thing they say in program, oh, life on life's terms. They say this like this is a simple thing. Do you know how hard life on life's term it's, is? Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's pretty pretty simple statement, but uh, it, it's a lot harder to, to live, yeah. And I, and I wanted to, speaking of that, go back to something you said earlier, which was, you know, when you started this group and you had, you know, groups in Australia and all of this stuff, and you had high hopes that you were going to connect everybody, it was all going to work out, and, and it didn't work out because your expectations were up here. And you said something like, you know, I consider it a massive failure, even though it was just sort of like a stumbling block. You, do you know what I'm saying? You said something like that. Absolutely, Anna. And uh, I need to be careful with this type of language that I'm using because it is a big thing that I have been dealing with. And I haven't met somebody who's been successful in recovery who hasn't dealt with self-loathing, right? It wasn't a tremendous failure. It wasn't. In fact, the day before my second year anniversary, right, the day before I had two years of sobriety, I had a near meltdown called my mom, my sponsor. It was a meltdown. I thought you know, by, by, by the time I had two years of sobriety, I'd have a million dollars. I came up about a million dollars short. I thought all the problems in my life would be solved. And that wasn't the case. Right. But like what I didn't know is like at, at each day in sobriety, my expectations were getting higher and higher and higher for myself without me even knowing it. And at the end of the day, the most badass thing about me, Anna, the most badass thing about you, about Doug, about Kevin, let me scroll down about Sarah and Raymond and all the others right here, Brian, is that we're sober. I mean, that's incredible in itself. And simply making it two years, doesn't matter if I was like on unemployment for two years. And if you are, that's totally fine. Like That's still freaking awesome. And so I need to be careful personally with that language and saying, Paul, it was a total failure. Like it wasn't, right? It was, it was just an experiment. I had a lot of fun and it helped me stay sober. So total success. I so, so, so get it. I think a lot of it has to do with coming. I, I don't know. Do you come from a family with high expectations where, you know, you sort of come home with the A minus and it's like, well, you didn't get an A. Did you, did you have any of that? No, I didn't. I, I didn't. I had I had a brother who, uh, while he was setting the state pole vault record, I was getting second to last place and shot put at a track meet. That got me. There was a lot of internal pressure, but all put on myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I relate to that. I, you know, I have a thing where I went to a school called Trinity College and I'm always like, I went to the worst school ever. And and people are like, that's a little Ivy, but everybody in my family went to Harvard. So to me, it's the worst school ever. And I, I relate to this idea of, of setting new, you know, sort of going, if only I could have this, I will be happy forever. If only I could be sober, 
I will just be happy forever. If only I could sell a book, I will be happy forever. And and there's really no such thing. It's just a constant process. Would you agree? I would agree 100%. And I don't want to steer this direction in a, in a 12-step direction or the other conversation, but acceptance is the answer. I'm four, seven, page 417. When I read that, that was a game changer. Is You have to find a way to be happy in your current situation, whether you're drinking whether shit's terrible, you need to find a way right now today. And that's the whole enjoying the journey because it's not the destination, it's the journey. And it's hard, but I agree 100% what you just said. And is Trinity, is that in Texas? No, there's a Trinity in Texas. I went to the one in Connecticut. They're all good schools. It's just- Yeah, they're really good schools. <laughs> um, you know, and I not to, not to uh, be that old timer, but when I got sober, it was page 449 because I got sober on the- <laughs> and- uh. And anybody, whatever, you know, whether if you are in 12 step and you're, you know the big book, do know that uh, it was called, sorry, I'm doing it again, Dr. Alcoholic Addict in the fourth edition. But in the fifth edition, it's called And Acceptance is the Answer. It is the most spectacular story. If you think that a big book is full of antiquated BS, you're not going to relate to. I challenge you to read that story. Page 417. <laughs> Um, and we're still getting great comments. Doug is saying, just got to focus on being a better version of you every single day. It's hard to do when sober, as we see friends, family, making money, graduating, getting married, but just got to focus on our own race. Yeah. The old compare and despair. Do you relate to that, Paul? Absolutely. And I just did a podcast episode and, uh, that came out Monday of like 160 episodes. This one might be my favorite. And, and, uh, it, you know, it, we, it, we all perceive ourselves to be different from other people, this and that, you know, but we had, you know, what does an alcoholic look like? What does somebody with a drinking problem look like? And only 5% actually live under a bridge, live in a cardboard box, live that homeless lifestyle that we perceive when we hear the word alcoholic, you know, the stigma of, uh, you know, weak morals, a loser. I mean, that's completely untrue anyways, but really only 5% are homeless and live under a bridge, right? And so I had over 155 people fill out surveys in the cafe groups and, and who are listening to the podcast. And Anna, I bet you have a very similar listenership as well. And it turns out that we're not only keeping up with the Joneses, Anna, we are the Joneses. I was blown away um, just how intelligent we are as, as, a, as a collective group how much more money we make than the average group. I mean, it, like every stat, how much more educated we are than the average American. Um, yeah. And like when, when we have these things called enhanced dopamine receptors, we, we experience alcohol different. We get a different joy out of this drug called alcohol and, and other drugs. Um, but when, when used properly, I mean, this is like a rocket fuel for us. We, in evolutionary terms, we were the ones that walked a little bit further to find food, a little bit further to find heat, to find a mate. While while others were just like, well, you know, I'm I'm just gonna take a nap in the snow and see you tomorrow morning, and they'd never wake up. But you know, thousands of years ago, our genetic makeup, ironically, today we have the predisposition to become addicted to these drugs and alcohol. But a thousand years ago, this was like this was like a major asset to have. So I, I don't know, like. It's it's tough, but it, I don't know, like it's just we are the Joneses. I was like blown away. It was so cool to see that data. 
It's so interesting. Tori Utley, who's this amazing woman, has uh, a TED Talk called Why the Workforce Needs More Sober Addicts, I think is what it's called. And mm. it's all about that. And she says, uh, and she's actually not an addict. She has addiction in her family, but she talks about how, you know, you drop off an alcoholic or non-alcoholic or addict somewhere and, uh, you know, they're lost, uh, you know, at the border of Canada. I remember she said she's Canadian. And like that alcoholic is going to get home, you know, four times faster. We're just... Uh, you know, not to be self-aggrandizing, but the sort of brain that works at that speed, the sort of um, ingenuity, the kind of that, that uh, it can work for you or it can work against you. And I know when I first came into the room, sort of being like, wait, these, I was so ready to think everybody was stupid in my own, you know, in my own defensiveness. And to be, to be like, these are the smartest people I've ever heard uh, was a huge shock and, you know, really encouraged me to stay. Um, sorry, I'm reading some of the comments. Um, oh, Raymond is quoting uh, that story we were just talking about. So, so let's just talk a little bit about Recovery Elevator. You, it is a podcast you release every week. Sometimes you have a guest and sometimes it's just you talking. Is that right? Correct. So I, it comes out every Monday. And, and so the, 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 you know, the consistency of it. So it's every Monday and the format's pretty consistent. So I do about 10 minutes of, I just cover a topic and then I interview somebody after that for anywhere from 25 to 45 minutes. And, you know, I have a lot of requests, Anna, uh, from authors, from, from speakers, addiction specialists, but, um, you know, you're, you're actually one of the more, more profile guests I've had on the podcast because I try to find people who are, who are just average Joes um, who have like two months of sobriety, three months, sometimes five days of sobriety. Because when I was in early sobriety, uh, I found it hard to relate to people who um, who had written books or who came out um, with these huge addiction stories and their movie stars and this like that. And and so I, I found myself gravitating more to the person who was like, they got a nine to five job as an admin, right? Like, and because they're, they're, those are the recovery warriors that that I was able to get the inspiration from, and I still I selfishly do the podcast. Like I, I do the interview, and they'll stop talking, and I'll just be like, "Wow, that's all I got! Wow, I'm just blown away by how courageous we are." And you, you mentioned mentioned earlier, like we're we're freaking rock stars because we don't give up. I haven't met a group of people that that just doesn't stop fighting. We never give up. And the pain, oh, my God, it has been acute for myself, for everybody, for you. But we don't stop fighting. It's We are just a courageous group of people, and we don't give up. Right. I would agree. Now, Carrie is saying, um, Carrie Bates, I will mention, high, high, high achiever, been in the Olympics, I think. I can't quite remember. But she says, don't you feel like the perceived failures we have in sobriety are partly because we're still trying to figure out who we are as sober people and what we actually like and want to do. I had no clue who I was when I got sober at the age of 44, but I do know with each new thing I did, I began to know myself as a sober woman. Maybe not failures, just experiences to bring us to our true selves. Yes, what do you have to say to that, Paul? Gosh, that needs to be in like, a, if, there, if there's any more additions to the Daily Reflections book, let's just go ahead and put that in there. Well, wow, that's a value. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a value bomb right there. I love it, Carrie. Again, Doug and Raymond, these are just like, I'm, and Anna, you're doing a great job. You're conducting an interview and you're reading comments. Like this is just like stimulation overload and I'm loving it. I'm having a great time. But Carrie, gosh, 
that that's where it's like I had it all wrong when I first got sober. It's like, yeah, I just thought, well, 30 days, I'm going to graduate from something. I don't know what it is, but like I got this and I'm, I'm you, I just need a medal, a coin, uh, you know, a chip and I'm out of here. But I like what you said. Uh, we've all heard that we stop maturing when, when our addiction really takes hold of us and really growth begins and when we get sober. And so, like I mentioned, year two, I had a colossal meltdown. Year three, I decided I'm just going to say a well to the problems that I can't help. And I love that. I am just like you, Carrie. I had no idea who I was, what I wanted when I got sober. You know, and, and last summer, I bought a $900 mountain bike. Again, just to try things out, to get my dopamine receptors going. I'm still figuring out who I am. I do know that I got a standard poodle puppy named Ben, and he's my best friend. And I do know that he's taught me how to love again. And I saw your cat before we hit record, Anna. And uh, God, I, I, there's still there's still so much more that I'm learning about myself. And and man, it's it's not disappointing that I don't get to graduate because I, I went to a meeting last night because it was fun. It's, it's not it's not like a punishment. It, it's fun. I get I like the people I get to hang out with. Well, Kelly's saying, um, hi, Kelly. I aim to be the best me I can be today without trying to set high expectations, which is really the key thing. You know, one of the, you know, one of those like value <clears throat> bombs I heard in my first meetings, in one of my first meetings was expectations or resentments under construction, um, which I thought the person who said it was the most brilliant person I'd ever heard. And then I heard 64 other people say it. And I was like, oh, this is just like one of the most amazing things you hear in meetings. Yeah. But but it's true. It's it's also really, really hard. And I relate to that idea of, you know, I'm going to be 18 years sober this year. And I was like, I think maybe I'll take up the ukulele. That was like two months ago. Cause I was like, maybe I would like that. I don't know. I am still figuring it out. And hats off to people who, you know, it took me a long time to figure out the relationship thing. And I don't get how people can figure that stuff out. I didn't know who I was, let alone who I wanted for a really, really, really long time. Do you relate to that? Absolutely. I had a keyboard in a box. I got it for Christmas and it was in the box for like eight months until I got sober in September. So nine months. That's what I asked for my mom and dad for Christmas in 2013. I was like, I want a keyboard. And I got a kneeboard. I'm just kidding. Macklemore song. Lame joke. <laughs> <laughs> the keyboard sat in the box. Macklemore. You're allowed to make a lame joke about a sober guy. And it wasn't. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so I got sober and just like you're going to learn the ukulele, I could. Right. I'm, I'm not Vivaldi or anything like that, but it's meditative. I'm able to learn these cool things. And, and kind of you said it before you hit record, like we're able to follow instructions and we're able to follow directions. And we're able to get from point A to point B without hitting somebody in, in, in transit. Um, and, and I like what Kelly said. For me, the most important word in that sentence is today. Kelly might be sitting there and be like, no, it's expectations. But for me, it's today. Right. Because all we can do is today. And that's like the gravity problems. I, I I still I don't worry about them. And I still do this thing one day at a time. And, and that's it, because that's you're in. the I'm in the moment. I'm in the present. Um, and that's a huge goal for me is I only worry about today. And if I make a little bit of progress today, being the turtle and not the hare, that's a lot of small progress added up. It's going to be some pretty cool, pretty cool things are going to happen. I will refer to. uh I, I'm doing this new thing where I'm making memes out of my favorite things that I need to see every day. And then I put them on uh, these little, th I think this is kind of a great idea. Anyway, sweet. 
I, it might be a product I sell, so maybe we'll co-launch a, a store where we do that. Anyway, this one says, the desire to fail on the way to reaching a bigger goal is the untold secret of success. I don't know if you can see that. Um, and I need to, to remember that because I have failures all the time and I have an alcoholic brain that wants to tell me, um, you know, horrible stories about it. I have a great storyteller in my brain and it is a very convincing one. So it is a constant process. Now, now, so people can get Recovery Elevator on iTunes, SoundCloud, all those places. Spotify, all that jazz, the recoveryelevator.com website. You can see it there in the show notes and stuff like that. Yeah, usual, usual media players. And you can at Recovery Elevator, it is a hub for all things. Um, you are So you were telling me before we started, you're doing your fifth retreat. Is that right? Yeah, we're doing a fifth retreat. This year we're going down to Peru. We're doing Machu Picchu, the Inca Trail. We're doing three days of, of, uh, of volunteer work with Peruvian Hearts. And we're doing some alcohol outreach. Um, you know, alcoholism, it's all across the world. But in, in, in some of the small villages surrounding Cusco, they have no idea what alcoholism even is. And so we just want to see who shows up. It's going to be informational. We're going to have translators there and people are going to share their stories and try to give people hope and just some knowledge. Like, oh, shit, like there is nothing wrong with me. I'm just an alcoholic. Right. And it's, 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 it's a disease. And so people don't understand just the basic knowledge. And then we're going to do the Inca Trail. And we're going to go see Machu Picchu, one of the wonders of the world. If, if uh, you've never been, you got to go. This will be my third time doing this trip. Uh, and last year we had a retreat in Bozeman. Uh, we had 30 people come from out of state. And, you know, I encourage people to get outside of their comfort zone. And, and like I said, I selfishly put these things on for myself to attend as well. But, God, I was so far out of my comfort zone last year, Anna. I got no idea what I'm doing. I still have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and just having a good time doing it. And I kind of have to stay sober, right? It's, it's, my mom was like, isn't that a lot of pressure, Paul? Like, I can't drink before. I can't be a guy who's, who's doing Inca Trail, taking, there's 22 people have signed up. Isn't it's an expensive trip? Like, I can't lead that trip and relapse. I mean, I guess I could, but it's like, it's not even a thought. So it's good sobriety fuel. And it, right now, it's not like added pressure. It's because, Here's the deal. The whole crux behind successful sobriety is, is that sobriety is an opportunity. I'm not looking at it as a sacrifice where I'm like, man, I got to like just like white knuckle it to Peru. And like, no, it's just all an opportunity to have such a better life. Yeah, I go through that where I'm like, what did I do? Why did I have to make this recovery thing into such a big deal? What if I, you know, what if I want to? What am I going to do then? And I, I'm not going to lie. That is a thought. Of course, it's a thought. Um, and by the way, Brad, who's in my accountability group, says he has a poodle too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading that. Brad, uh, oh my gosh, I see the poodle. That's that's like a miniature or a toy. Uh, what's, yeah, that's a, my, and my dog Ben is the same color, the same color. Hey, Ben, come here. Is, are these, are these interviews pet friendly, Anna? These are pet friendly. I will say that, uh, audience, before this started, my amazing cat uh, got in front of the okay. camera. And uh, Paul shared with me that he was allergic, but I still went ahead and interviewed him anyway. Oh my God. He just, no, he just, okay. He's got a haircut, so he's a little goofy, but uh, he looks just like Brad's uh, little, little poodle. So, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, no wonder he makes it into your bio that's on your website. He deserves it. Um, and Dan is saying, my cat is my best friend too. Oh, 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 something you just said. We got another meme. All progress takes place outside the comfort zone now. Oh, agreed. It. Yeah, it's awful and true. 
Um, now, that, you, that about wraps it up. So if you want to find out more about Recovery Elevator, go to recoveryelevator.com, download the podcast. Make sure you download this podcast first, and then you and I are, are all good. But you guys, no, but Paul, you're wonderful. You're amazing. Thank you. Is there anything that you want to add for anybody? Um, any answers to any last questions or message that you would give that you want out there? We I, I'm just off the comments. Failures as an entrepreneur, you want to fail fast and you apply that to sobriety and it will propel your sobriety journey forward. You want to fail fast for your health not working and you add, change it up. And gosh, Anna, this has been awesome. Like I said, this is just overload comments. People talk about poodles and cats and best friends and recovery. I've had a blast these last 45 minutes. So thank you for giving me the opportunity, Anna. Well, you're welcome. It's perfect for an addict stimulation from every angle. Okay. And uh, that's, that's what we aim for because we're, you know, finding new ways to be addicted and overstimulated. We don't need to end on that note. You guys, thank you so much, Brad, Kevin, uh, Dan, Doug. We love all of you. Thank you for chiming in. I will be back here next week, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time, interviewing another amazing person in recovery. And, uh, and if you're hearing this on the podcast, God bless you for listening. Oh, guess what? I came up with a sign off. It's a new thing. It's better with the lights on. So go out there and hustle your light, light hustler. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.